Hey, it's just Michael. I'm a pod host, an improv actor. I produce and host a TV show called Baltimore Loves Talent. I'm an entrepreneur. I had a digital ad agency business in New York City and a restaurant. Didn't go so well. And uh, I have two retail stores in Washington, D.C. They're pawn, pawn shops, actually. Um, and I have a wife and two boys and two hypoallergenic dogs and a creepy, cute bird. Um, and I host this podcast called Second Scene, and it's a Dweebs Global production. They give free mentorship help to people around the world. And it's free, so just go to dweebsglobal.org. Uh, and I would like to welcome Dr. Iman here today. She's worked as an aesthetic surgeon with a degree in dental surgery. For a second scene, she works with a startup in tourism, focusing on Asian Muslim communities. She is an Asian Muslim culture, culture and heritage journalist. She is a talk show host, speaks six languages and so much more. So welcome to the show. Hi, Michael, how are you? Thank you so much for introduction. I am um, good. how are you? I'm great, I'm great, it's been great, yeah. Awesome. Um, just to, I'm going to start out simple. Where, where are you originally from? So my father is a Saudi Arabian and my mother is South Asian. And my heritage do come from Africa as well. So you can say I'm an Arab Asian. Okay. That's, yeah. That sounds pretty unique to me. Yeah. <laughs> where, were you, where were you born and raised? So I was born in Pakistan because my father was working in aviation there. And then I was raised mainly in Pan-Asia because my father was traveling so much. So we were all the time traveling in different parts of Asia. I get to know the culture of different parts of Asian countries. Um, my, most of my childhood was in Saudi Arabia, Singapore, Pakistan, Indonesia. I mean, there were so many countries. Yeah, and then just, I graduated. You just, you just said most of your childhood, name like six places. <laughs> yeah, because there are so many countries that we traveled to, like Azerbaijan, Armenia. They were, you know, growing up when you father is uh, is in travel agency or he was working in aviation business. You have to keep uh, hopping from one country to another country. Sometimes you are living there for two months, other times just for one week, and then you hop to another station. So my childhood was pretty much like that. But after my graduation, I moved to Turkey, which was really consistent thing for me. So I stayed there for a long period of time. It's been, I guess, 10 years now. So I know you, you, were origin you, you started out as a doctor. You were an aesthetic surgeon. What does that entail and what does that mean? So I didn't start as an aesthetic surgeon. I basically started my basic degree at dental surgery. And it, it was something that my father anticipated me to do, because if you know Asian cultures, parents always want you to be in medicine. You can be med a doctor, you can be engineer, or you can be a failure. So I didn't want to be a failure. <laughs> and I started my degree, but by the time I started, I remember when I had my first day in my university, I knew this is not something for me. You know, what's, they, the, what's that pressure like? What's that pressure like to have parents that are pretty much forcing you into into a profession, or the pressure of having to succeed in that that manner, that way? So I guess when you are in the system, you are hearing everyone that you are hearing your sibling, you are hearing your cousins and friends complain about the same thing. That my parents want me to do a doctor or a lawyer or you know engineer. You never realize that what the pressure looks like. You are always thinking it's so normal, right? Like everyone parents do the same. But then you once you become adult because you are just um, just a 17 or 16 year old preparing all through it for the IELTS for exams for MCAT examination. 
And then when you enter university, I guess there's something adults sense in yourself that waking up and tell you like, is it something that you wanted? And you realize, no, it, it wasn't something that I wished for myself to do, right? And I was thinking, yeah. And I was thinking, no, maybe this is something because I have been preparing for it for so long. And the inner self said to me, no, you were not preparing it for yourself. You were preparing it for your, for your parents to make them happy. And then you're like, yeah, damn, this is the thing. And then you start studying and you realize that it no more interests you. You are just studying it because they are paying the fees. And you're like, oh, my God, I have to drag it. Oh, no. But I guess, you know, when you're younger, you don't you just kind of you're on that train and you don't even question it or look out the window. It's just kind of the train you're on. And Yeah, I, I guess because it's more of a cultural thing. So when something becomes very cultural, you don't question it, right? You don't realize that you can even, you have a say in that thing as well. And if you are living in an Asian Muslim culture or just Asian culture, you will find it so normal thing. Everybody goes through same pressure. Uh, only if you are a bad child or bad egg of a family, family does not need to do anything with you. But other than that, that if you're a bad egg, that means you have to be CA or ACCA. Like it's like that. So I guess it's one of the thing in Asian communities to be on top notch or to go beyond the expectations. You have to prove yourself. So I guess growing up, you never realize when you are younger and you are so much uh, unaware of the world, you don't have that experiences. Mm -hmm. But definitely once you start growing up, once you start knowing that what do I want and what I don't want, then you know that this is something that uh, it's not my first choice or my or I might not have done it if it wasn't for my parents or for the, wasn't for society or wasn't for showing other people that I, I'm a coffee kid. Yeah. Do you think that's going to change with the next generation just because your generation or, or it's just so ingrained, it's just going to keep going in the same way that parents are going to keep expecting um, kids? Uh, I, I really want to believe it's going to change with generation because now I see my youngest sibling and he does not care. He wants to go in media. He's very persistent. He knows what he wants to do. And my parents have given up on him. They are like, okay, you can do whatever you want. And we are like, okay, then we have that option. Oh, no. <laughs> but of course Even the way you say it though, they've given up on it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, if, when you have kids, are you, what do you... Do you know how you're going to handle it? Are you going to give them an open Definitely. world? None of them going to the doctor. If they want, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good for them. But other than that, no, never. <laughs> you're, you're going to go opposite. You're going to be like, you can't be a doctor. You're not allowed to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah, of course. I don't want to be that mother who wants to be very forceful. I, I would want them to travel alone for some time maybe and choose what they want. Because now the world is expanding. There are so many options that you can do. And, you know, the work has become so much stressless. Before, we used to think the more uh, married the person is, the more stress they have on work, and that means they are excelling. But now I've realized when I've started doing things on my own by what I like and what I have my interest in, I realized, like, work isn't about stress. You can make money even without being stressful. You can be happy with little money if you're doing something that you really, really like. So yes, definitely, I would want same thing for my kids as well. But let's see. Yeah, it's hard. You know, I have I have I have young boys, eleven and nine years old. So I can relate some of it 
to when I'm raising them. Like for instance, right now, my younger one has been doing tennis and he's really good. And I'm really having a hard time trying to figure out how to not make him feel like he has to keep doing it. Like he's enjoying it right now. So yeah. he has like a few lessons a week now. And I'm like, are you like every time, like, are you enjoying it? Do you want to keep doing it? And in my head, I want to be like, you're going to do it every day. <laughs> like I want to, I want to make, like, I'm, I, I'm like fearing he's going to say no. And then what I'm going to have in a reactor. <laughs> I guess most of the time, what scares parent is the financial aspect. They're really scared about the fact, will the child be able to sustain the lifestyle that we have given them? Will they be able to survive in the society? But, and that's the thing that maybe sometimes they become controlling at the time it drains things emotionally. And I guess parenting is hard, you know, whatever decision you make, you don't know the consequences until unless after 15 or 20 years, your child is sitting in the physio psychologist office and crying about your decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in the psychiatrist office all the time. So I think that's a, that's a gene they're just going to have gotten. So <laughs> they're not going to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you miss uh, do you are you still a doctor at all yeah you, I do doctor do you practice being a doctor you practice it? <laughs> I do practice I, I wish none of my patients hear this they're like what <laughs> I do practice but now I do on my own terms I do go to clinic sometimes and I see patients I look like okay if this is the case I might, might want to take and I do take that case but other than that no I'm not working like the full time I used to work after my graduation now I have my choice before I didn't have the choice okay how do you do that how do you have how do you just work part do you work for a company uh, an office that allows you just to take patients yeah. you want to take okay yeah, yeah. So it's a multiple setup office. They have multiple doctors trained in different disciplines. And if they have case and they text you like this is a particular patient who want to just get the treatment done by you and they call you and you're like, okay, I'm going to see this patient. Or maybe they allot you five patients that you want to look after and see their cases if you like them. Okay, they want like they share the percentages with you and it's all right. Like because uh you have to complete certain hours in a year to keep your certifications. So that's why it's really important to keep um, working. Okay. So are, is there a part of you that's, that's glad your parents forced you into being a doctor? Uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because, you know, um, I, I guess, I guess one of the factors that I, why I might not have liked being a doctor was not only the stress, but also the kind of education they give in the medical institute. You know, there is very limited capacity of being creative person, like where you can be creative. The, the hardest right or left, the, you know, everything has the proportion, everything is there. Maybe I, if I would have switched in research field, I think I might have enjoyed it. But growing up where I was going to school, I didn't have much options to do that. So when I met, went to med school, I started working with one of the international organizations that used to do placement of medical students in top-notch American universities and hospitals, right? So I started working with them. And because I was always traveling so much even before, this was the new niche that I was being introduced into. I thought, oh my God, this is this could be something that I can do. That is medical tourism in placement of medical students into different universities across the world. So I started it just as a you know sidekick in my university days. And I started enjoying it so much 
that it became one of the main thing in my careers. So because of one of the opportunity I got in Turkey, I also got placement. I settled there. I started living. And then this continued, but I thought that what could be added in it as well. And then um, my father got retired and he introduced the idea that why don't I start a tourism company with you? Because you are really good with traveling and you are really good with management. So why don't we start a travel traveling group? So was, we started on small scale. Yeah. Your dad was okay with you treading the line of leading, yeah. of leaving the medical? <laughs> He, he never thought that it's, it's going to become my main thing. He thought that, okay, like, just like the way, because I was practicing then and I was running this as well. It was a seasonal thing, you know, because medical students do have some seasons when they are off from this semester. So they, so they want to go abroad and have um, do different jobs so in different hospitals and want to gain experience. So it was a seasonal thing then. Okay. And we, <laughs> so we started it off as a season as well. So we started different yoga retreats. We started different historical groups and, you know, just a seasonal kind of group where you, uh, you actually linked your traveling with some experience, not just for a touristic thing. You actually link it with a bigger goal that you, um, there were so many people who wanted to co come back to Asia from the American Jews and visit the Asian Jews. So I thought that this is one of the new niche and I have to find it myself as well like what is into this that why so many people want to come back to their roots and travel because uh, they thought that there's some part of them missing and then I started traveling within Asia myself and it was the first time it was first time after 2010 when, when um, the Syrian crisis came so there were a lot of immigrants and refugees across different parts of Asia and this was the time when I came across these people and I started talking to them. So the inner journalist in me came out. I started talking to them and they had so many different experiences. They were doctors, they were engineers, they were a graduate. There were so many people with diversified experiences and education, and yet they were homeless. They had nowhere to go. There were so many people who were elite in their societies and they were now living on street off in the country facing racism and I thought that I should be writing their stories these are the stories that I should be making the world to listen to them and what they have been going through how stress is their mental health and this was my third niche that encounter in my second niche so yeah so you know it was like one experience led to another and another led to third so in somewhere, I do think that the medical thing that started has left far beyond. Like if you would have asked me even before coming to medical school, I have this belief that I might want to be one of the biggest cosmetic surgeon or in going the aesthetic world and make my name out of it. But then I think with the age and with grooming, you realize that you have different interests. So this is when I started evolving my interest in my experience as well. And I guess this was my second scene uh, in the world of tourism and in the world of journalism as well. Okay. Okay. Um, how interesting. What are some stories that really stand out for, uh, for you that you, you came across when you first started doing this? So one of the particular stories that I want to really share, and it's really close to my heart, um, I always say it's story of two, two medical professionals in same, 
same scenario, not same scenarios, having same kind of education coming from different background. And you could see that how the world changes your experience just because you were not given equal circumstances. So I was, um, I, I belong to a very privileged family. I have good family background. I have um, opportunities which was given to me by my parents uh, through finances, through connection, you know, like this gave you a lot of privilege. And I was bilingual, trilingual. So I passed my medical school without any um, debts, without any loans. And I just wanted to explore the world. And I was uh, in, I was becoming a cosmetic surgeon, but my basic degree was dentistry. So I met the Syrian dentist. He was 34 years of old. He graduated from Texas University and he was doing a great job in a big American hospital in Damascus City and the war happened. Right after five years, his career ended and he was on the street of Turkey. He had nowhere to go. His degree wasn't recognized. His family was torn apart in different parts of the world. His mother was living in Egypt. His brother was living in Germany. He was illegal immigrant in Turkey. He had no place to go. And he was do doing just the basic, not even below the skilled labor job. He was living hand to mouth. For people that don't know what <laughs> happened in the war, can you give a quick synopsis on why he ended up in that situation? Because after the war in Syria, uh, the Syrian people have to leave their country because the war wasn't just between, you know, it wasn't the other countries coming to the country, but it was more of a situation where it was, there were so many militant groups within Syria fighting each other. So it was a very difficult situation for them. There were countries coming outside fighting these military groups, and then these military groups were fighting with each other. So they had nowhere to go except to let for their life and to save their life. So just because they didn't have opportunity and didn't have enough money to go to one country and because, you know, everyone has different kind of situation, the all family, six, seven members has to run to different countries. So he came to Turkey, some of his family went to Germany, other went to Egypt, some went to uh, Lebanon. They were all split up. It's hard for me to imagine that uh, a place, I'm assuming Syria was, um, it was a modern society. They had universities and he became a doctor and uh, nobody thought that there was gonna be a war that was gonna turn it inside out and you'd have to leave your country. It's hard for someone like me, I'm sure for a lot of people to imagine that even scenario happening. That's wild, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so he had no degrees, he had nothing. Like he didn't have family, he lost. So he was 34 years old on the street, a dentist without any degree, without any place to go, uh, illegal immigrant, with, which is always hiding from police, living hand to mouth. And then I met one of my really dear friends from Italy. She was a dentist as well, and she was now continuing her cosmetic surgery degree in UK. And she was on the top notch, you know, she was a cream of where she was coming from. She was earning top-notch money. She had good uh, background. She was living in the best area. And she came to Turkey for fun. Just like me, I came to Turkey because I wanted to live there and I love living there. She came to Turkey because she had an opportunity to work in the top-notch hospital. 
So this story like really was close to my heart that we were three people with exactly same degrees, but just because we were coming from three different backgrounds, we had so much different faith. Faith like it was totally different world for us. We were exposed to three different kind of worlds, and it changed my um, perspective of seeing things. And I realized that how important it is to tell our younger generation that how much important and we how much considerate we have to be of each other and to realize where each one of us are coming from and what kind of struggles even people coming from if even if you say that same kind of background have different type of kind of struggles they have to face in future and you never know what is holding ahead of you so this is one of the really interesting story that i came across in my traveling Right, how it's 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 frustrating uh, to imagine. I just to even think about his situation and uh, how hard it yeah. must have been for him to to crawl out of it. We never realize, but there are some things which do come with privilege. If you are living in a first world country, if you are living in a very developed society, of course, the education you are going to get is going to be recognized in all over the world. But unfortunately, if you are coming from a lower grade society, if you are coming from a, com- a countries which are not much developed, your degrees are not going to be recognized in the upper part of the world or even in the countries which are as comparative as your country once your country is going down. Do you know where this man is now? He is in France recently. I, uh, I am in very close uh, touch with him. So, but... Um, there is a, a mishap recently in France. There has been a lot of racism incident that, that has been happening. So he's in Lyon, France. Uh, he's jobless right now. Um, I talked to him on New Year Eve and he's trying to find a job because, but because of pandemic and there has been a lot of happening in the world right now everywhere. So yeah, he has high hopes, but again, I guess life is difficult for some of us. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, one of my dad's favorite jokes um, is uh, one of the most important things in life is choosing the right parents. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it really goes along with what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's true. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunately very true. <laughs> my friend, he used to often joke about it. He himself, that he said that, you know, you can make one mistake of choosing wrong parents, but don't make wrong mistake again of choosing wrong uh, parent-in-law. So you have to be really careful. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, so what, is, what have you done now? Um, now that you've gone this direction with the journalism, um, what are you doing with it now? So I st- first I started off with podcasts and my podcast was basically based on the mental health because you know, Asian Muslim communities, we are really shy about talking about our mental health. It's still a stigma to talk. Like I remember when I first told my parents that I, I might have some mental illness and my father said, of what, of what? like how? Like you have had everything in the world. How can you have any kind of mental health problem? And I'm like, okay, this does not work like this. But, and of course they were supportive um, in the end of the conversation, but they're not a lot of people who might have the same support. And I thought that 
it could be one of the good opportunities to talk to different people coming from different Asian Muslim com communities background to talk about their mental health. We started talking about the subject of women empowerment, and then we started talking about opportunities, refugees, immigrants. And I thought that why don't we start with uh, making a video documentaries out of it? We started uh, making uh, something to see through because, you know, people are more about visuals. They want to see the things. So now recently, we have actually made a group of youngsters in their third years and final years of uh, journalism degrees in their respective countries. They could be from any Asian Muslim country or they could be from any, any country belonging to Asian Muslim communities. And now we have started training them to represent their communities, what has ha been happening in the communities, how they are facing COVID crisis, what is the women in their communities are doing to sustain living? How are the men in their communities are coping up with life? What the youngsters are doing? What the old people are doing? What kind of entrepreneurs they have? So we have, we are now collecting representation of all the Asian Muslim communities that we have in region. And one of the factors that I see, you know, if you might have seen the mainstream media and if you might have seen the mainstream world, there isn't much talk about Asian Muslims. There are so many kinds of Asian Muslims. There are Pakistanis, Indian, Bangladeshi, Burmese, Chinese, but um, Indone even in Singapore. But why we never talk about it? Because maybe sometimes the mainstream media thinks the only Muslim that might live are the American Muslims or Arab Muslims. They are the two categories of Muslim that you often tend to see. So where are all these people that are living in the world and they are um, providing to the communities, they are reciprocating their abilities back to the communities. So who is going to talk about them? And if we do see about them, we see them in terrorist attack, bomb blast, all the bad things associated with them. And I realized this has become such a huge thing that it is now becoming a generational trauma in the youngsters of these communities. They are becoming sheltered. They are becoming aggressive. They don't know where to go out and vent. They are always being defensive and overprotective about their communities. And a lot of them are being shy to be called of their ethnicity. Like I have met so many Rohingya Muslim children they were so shy. They didn't want to be called Rohingya Muslims. They said, please, if you could, let us say Bangladeshi Muslims, let us say Malaysian Muslim, but don't tell, tell us Rohingya Muslims because we are too shy. People have been putting us in such bad light that we don't want to be part of it. So I thought there are a lot of anger in this youth and they want to be seen. They want to be seen by the world and they want to be seen through the ability. So I have started to make a platform of positivities that is coming from the Asian Muslim communities. How are they uh, contributing their, to their communities, being an expat, being an immigrant, being a refugee, how they are uh, contributing to the minorities within their countries. Like if you are in Pakistan, yeah, there is an incident where some mob vandalized a minority uh, religious place, but then a larger group of people collected donations and made this place into a much better place of worship. And now they're protecting and giving them security. So the where are these stories? So now we are collecting positive stories from different parts of the world to represent Asian Muslim and give them a new face. You know, 
I always thought about this, just like the way we had Black Lives Matters, we need a new phase of Asian Muslim matters. Their lives all, also mattered. We'll talk a lot about that, what happened after 9-11, but a very few people talk that what Asia has paid price. And in 9-11, my heart and my soul is with, those, are, is with those people who have lost their life in Twin Tower incident. But what about those people who have lost their life after the circumstances in Afghanistan, in Iran, in Iraq, in Syria, in Pakistan? The list goes on and on and on and still is going. So where these people are going to go and talk about it. It's unfortunate that uh, being a Muslim, you even have to bring up 9-11 where there's been plenty of other religious groups uh, that have committed even larger atrocities than that and meanwhile their religious group isn't associated because of that. I completely agree you know I, I guess sometimes I always blame that the mainstream media do have a lot of powers to change thinking of people mm -hmm. and I guess they are the reason, there are some reason they might be putting their all effort into a certain way to make it other way around. You know, there are times when you can make a very cruel person victim and then there are other times then you make the victim a cruel person. So this has been happening in the mainstream media through so many years. But I guess now I personally think it's not the time to be victim. It's the time to come up. We have so many opportunities. There are so many networks that you can work on. The world is yours. You can go. Um, now there are so many people who have been working as well on these platforms, social media platforms. The TikTok is here, YouTube. There are so many podcasts, Instagram, Facebook. You know, the world it has no, no limit now. So if you have been pushed back for so many years just because you were your faith was put in, in a bad place, now is the time you can come ahead and prove yourself. We have common problem that we have to face. It include poverty, safety, education, our children, those are that are our future. The woman that is our future. So we have to combine our resources and we have to help each other through that. And this is what I think is most important thing that we have to keep recalling. Because fighting with each other is not going to help any of us or any of our cause. Mm -hmm. That's that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, how can other people help? What what can what can we do as outsiders? So uh, right now, what we have been actually doing, uh, a lot of my team members are young um, graduates who are in their third year and final year of university degrees. And they are looking for the opportunities, opportunities to work with different media groups or need the representation, or there are some even people who are looking for opportunities just to feed their families. So we have a lot of groups of young journalists that has been working with us. These are all freelance journalists. And some of, our, of them are living in some of the most dangerous places in the world. Like recently, we have our journalists um, in, um, sorry, Taha, working from Mosul, Iraq. There's another journalist um, that Junaid working from Jammu, Kashmir. And there is one journalist with us, Haya. She's working from Syria. These are the people who are working in really crucial and uh, situations and with much less resources. So what, what we need now, we might be needing funding, 
to provide and run these journalist homes. We, they have their families to feed. They want to work, but they don't have enough resources. There might not be a lot of international media because they are so young in their cycle right now. They have just graduated or they are just in the last year of graduation. They don't have much opportunities to offer bigger um, degrees or go for bigger companies to work with them. So they are collecting the experiences through small projects like these and they are working with their communities to make a difference. The war in Syria started in 2010. The child who was born back then is a 10 year now. Like he has complete, he is just going to enter his teenage in three years. So that child, the only thing that he has seen is bomb blast, hunger, fertility. What kind of childhood we are giving to these kind of people, the only way we are going to change is to support right kind of charities to see what kind of change they are making to these communities and ask them, find these people, listen to their stories. They want to be listened. They want to talk to the world. They don't want to be stereotyped. They don't want to be put into a position where they have to prove themselves just because they have a different faith. They're coming from different ethnicity. They are coming from different part of world. They want to be seen. And isn't this something that we all want to do? We all want to be seen in some way or another. Some, some by our families, other by our friends, other, some by our communities. So these are the people, and these are so many young people. They are, their age group is so small. They are, the people that are, have been working with, with me, they are from age group of 16 to 25, such young children. So I guess, yeah, if it this, uh, this cause, if there's any other cause that come across your eyes, you see them, please don't think twice about that, how I'm going to give them, or maybe other people might be helping them. No, because each penny counts. If you give, if you are able to even give $1, it's going to make a lot of difference on their tables, in their life, in their families okay do you have any do you have any websites or anything that uh, people can go to if they want to learn more or yeah so recently we are in um we are um, uh, in a process of making a website right now we are just on uh, we are just uh, showcasing a work on instagram facebook and youtube for now but from next month onward we are going to be showcasing our all work with these journalists and their project on our same portals and on our website as well okay all right well as soon as you have those websites let me know because i would love to share them and get them out there that will be amazing that will be thank you so much for your help that will be great help for these people who want to be seen to in the world I thank you so much for your time. This has been super fascinating. Uh, this has been Second Scene with Michael, a Dweebs Global production. And again, Dweebs Global is a nonprofit organization where people can come for free mentorship help. We have mentors from around the world, 500 plus of them, and they're there to help for free. It's free. Thank you.